Hey, there's a couple of dog breeds that just kind of scare me. I wasn't even trying to be funny. I'm glad you guys are, are, are ready, to, ready to laugh. That's cool. Um, pit bulls and Doberman. Now, hold on a second. Doberman pinchers. Now, I know this is a touchy subject, so I'm just going to let you know I'm not going to talk bad about your pit bull or your Doberman pincher. The problem is me, not them, okay? The problem is me. And we had some, on our street growing up, we had some Dobermans that when I would walk to play with the other kids, like, I would feel so much dread, like fear, that I would not survive the walk because they would start barking at me. And it was like fear would come over me. So that was my experience with them. My wife, Beth, on the other hand, she grew up owning a couple of these Dobermans. So she'll tell you they're the best dogs ever. And she, she, will, she will definitely advocate for them. And I've seen those pit bulls licking the faces of those of you who own them. So I know it's a touchy subject and I felt it already, but here's, here's the truth. We know this is that, is that you can weaponize an animal and that's a terrible thing to do, or you can nurture an animal and they'll show love and they'll show a lot of love. There's this really strange interaction between love and fear. And I want us to go today, our theme is love today, but to understand love, we're going to talk about fear and, and how those things interact. And I want us to go to 1 John chapter 4, and that will be our opening scripture. And after I read it, you can join me in thanking God for his scripture. Today, as you heard from Pastor Aubrey, our Advent theme is love. And our opening scripture sets up a clear contrast between love and fear. 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse 16. And we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this scripture, I believe, is talking about human fear. I've, I've taught before, we don't have time to get into this the value of the fear of the Lord. That's a good thing. Now, what I'm speaking about today is earthly fear, the type of fear, uh, not fear of the Lord, but fear that opposes itself to love. And we don't have time to talk about the nuances of this, but you can see clearly the Apostle John is setting up a contrast between love and fear, and that's the same contrast that I'm emphasizing. He was making a point, and I'm going to make a point too. Where there is fear... There is not love. Where there's earthly fear, there is no love. I can't love the pet if I fear the pet. I can't love authority if I fear authority. I can't love the church if I fear the church. And I can't love Jesus if I have earthly fear of Jesus. So this invitation, this Advent invitation to love that's personified in Jesus, personified in Bethlehem and at Calvary and through the resurrection, is a call for us to live outside of fear. You know, a lot of us 
we're motivated by the fear. Okay, all of us are motivated by the fear of what other people think of us. I grew up in a wonderful family. They were awesome, but we, we did not want to stick out. So if we were at a restaurant and the order wasn't right, we just, we just ate it anyway. No one was going to send things back because we did not want to be, we didn't want to stick out. If there wasn't a clear rule uh, at the pool or in the classroom, we just, we just went along with it. We didn't try to get clarification. And on driving practices, it was like, it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. And we just didn't want to offend that driver that we would never see again. (laughs) Now, this isn't necessarily all bad because my family had a a great reputation in our community. So there's something about, about not wanting to bring shame upon the family name or shame upon the school or shame upon the church that is admirable. And it's good. But... There's this fear of disgrace, and that's the first thing I want to talk about today. We're actually going to look, our main passage today is going to be in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, if you want to start turning there. And you probably have heard of this, if you've had any study of of culture, that Asian, Middle East, and Slavic cultures have a strong fear-shame component to their culture. That doesn't mean every person is part of that mindset. And it doesn't mean that those of us who grew up in America don't deal with that. I already talked to you about some characteristics in my family of origin, that there are good things to it. And so it is that this motivation that drives us to have image management can have value until it doesn't, right? It's good until it's not, until it goes too far. And just to clarify it, that never went too far in my family. So we see in the passage today in the story of Joseph, the father of Jesus, this is one of the components that he dealt with in order to obey the Lord. Joseph's father dealt directly with this issue of shame when it came to Mary's pregnancy. Let's go now to our main text, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. We're talking now, I want you to think about Uh, the, the fear of disgrace here. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After the mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, now look at this phrase, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. When I was thinking about this passage today or earlier this week, I thought, how long did it take Matthew to craft the words that way? I know there's there's different languages and translations, but at least, you know, Matthew thought, how should I put this? And he said, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. What? Pregnant from the Holy Spirit? We're so used to that concept that it doesn't feel so strange to us, but it's really weird, man. That's really odd. That's very attention grabbing. And so going on, we see that he has a natural reaction So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So this is a good thing. This is a good thing at first read. Defending the family name. Defending Mary's reputation. Defending his own reputation. It's a culture of honor. 
and it's very good until it's not. Joseph was going to do the honorable, religiously acceptable step. But that which was respectable and honorable to culture was not what God wanted him to do. Think about that. Here's the irony of Joseph's situation. If he did that which was respected and, and admired, we'll find out in the passage, he would have been disobeying God. But if Joseph chose to obey God, what would be the immediate result? The immediate result was going to be rumor and scandal and disgrace. How many times does the fear of disgrace make us or causes us to choose things that God doesn't want instead of trusting God's plan? Image management, reputation management, often that is more important than the voice of the Lord. We find here that as Jesus was birthed into this world through Mary, that Joseph played a key role in obeying God. And so as we see the work of Jesus birthed in this world, we have to move beyond, move beyond the fear of disgrace. And so that we're following the voice of the Lord. Joseph's love for Mary and God was greater than his reputation. Man, I can't say that about myself. His love for God and love for Mary was greater than his reputation. Love drives out the fear of disgrace. Speaking of disgrace, let's talk about minivans for a second. <laughs> who, who is willing to admit, and I, this will be a show of hands, that they either currently or in the past have driven a minivan? Can you admit it? Okay, we got proud people, proud people. Now, was there anyone here who said, I'll never drive a minivan, but ended up driving a minivan? That My hand is up. Okay, my hand is up. Hey, that was my experience. By the way, I still drive a minivan. I have adult children, and I'm still driving this minivan I can't get rid of. Because I took out the seats, and it's like my cargo van. And I keep hauling stuff around with it. So if you see all of the soccer moms and me, there's a line of minivans in front of you. So I was um, driving my minivan not too long ago, and and in the the car that was in front of me at the coffee place had this sticker and this is what it said. I thought it was hilarious. I'll never drive a minivan dash me. (laughs) Isn't that true for most of us who have driven a minivan? And the first time I saw that, I thought that was clever and funny. And then now I, I, I recognize it's kind of a thing now. It's kind of a thing to, to say, but, um, yeah, they're just so handy, aren't they? They're just so practical. And they're nice machines, and I'm grateful God's provided one for my family. Here's the next fear I want to talk about where love can drive out, the fear of a role. Sometimes there's roles God calls us into that we're just like, that's not me. I'm not the guy who drives a minivan. I'm not the person who who is ready for this responsibility or ready for this reputation or I don't want to fall into a stereotype. I see that the love of God that birthed Jesus helped Joseph drive that out of his life. Verse 20 of Matthew 1. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, look at this, 
don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When God gets involved in our lives and he begins to lead us, even things that we thought we wouldn't prefer when we were younger become his call upon our life. And those things are good for us and good for the people we love and good for the world. So on this December 18th, this week of Christmas, I like it when God's real sneaky. You're like, let's put church in today. Let's get a service in because it's Christmas after all. Well, God may have a word for you today. Don't be afraid of the next role of your life. Don't be afraid of the next role God has for you. High school students, don't be afraid to become a young adult. Whether you go to college or you get a job or you go to trade school or you pursue a path, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to step into adulthood. Don't be like the cultural norm to delay adulthood until you're 35 be a man, be a woman, step into adulthood. It's okay. I mean, you're still a young adult. At least you got the young in front of adults, right? <laughs> but you're an adult. Don't be afraid if God's called you to move to a new city. I hope that's no one who attends CIL, but I'm going to say it anyway. Don't be afraid to leave your mama. Don't be afraid to leave your grandparents if God's called you to a new city. Don't be afraid to become a spouse. Some of you guys, you, you, you're like, you think you're going to be a bachelor until the rapture. Oh, man, I thought that would be funnier than the dog joke, but that's old. <laughs> that's old and worn out. Hey, marriage is a blessing. Find someone and marry them. Don't be afraid to be a confident, content single. Confident and content, knowing that. God gives you everything you need. And marriage doesn't complete you. God completes you. Don't be afraid to be a cat owner. It's one of my fears. I was scared of cats. But you'll survive. One sneeze after another. Don't be afraid to be a parent. You're going to be a good one. Don't be afraid to be a business owner. I know it takes risks to own a business. That's why not everyone does it. But if God's called you to do it, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of retirement. Don't be afraid to finally volunteer. Don't be afraid to be a good neighbor and actually walk across the street and say hi to someone. We have awesome neighbors where I live. And I'm not that great of a neighbor yet but maybe I could be better in 2023. They're always checking on us, doing nice things for us. And, you know, in our lifestyle, we just haven't made the choice to, to, to be as good as neighbors as we could be. Maybe that's something the Lord's speaking to me. I, there's a real famous pastor, who, at least famous to me. He's retired, and I heard him talking about what retirement was like. And he said, you know, this is the first time in my life I've learned how to be a neighbor because I've been so busy with church work. And that caught my attention. So it is that the Lord told Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And maybe some of you need to hear that today. There's a new role that you're afraid of 
But if God's called you to that role, step in because he's in it. There's something, there's a lot of things that every one of us have in common here. And dump before. You want to hear the story? You're not going to, so sorry. (laughs) I've been ignored. I've been fired. I've been excluded. Okay, so these are things that happen. Excluded, ignored, fired. Rejection is not a fun part of life, but it's it's a part of life that Jesus is there for us. And before I talk more about rejection, because love comes and it drives out that fear of rejection or at least helps us to manage that better. I don't know if it always leaves, but we get to choose love instead of fear of rejection. Before I talk about that some more, I want to talk about a book that maybe a lot of you have read or several of you have read, but most of you have heard of. It's called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And when I was a young man, I just felt the need to read mere Christianity. I mean, you can't find a religious leader who doesn't have mere Christianity on their bookshelf, just about. And it just felt like an important book to read. And it felt like a book that I should read with a latte and a tobacco pipe, you know? <laughs> just, you know, mere Christianity. Puff, puff, read some more. And so I was excited to read mere Christianity. And to be honest with you, when I read it, I didn't like it very much. I, I didn't, I did not enjoy reading it. And I was like, oh, I'm feeling guilty. I'm like, if I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a scholar here because it's illegal not to love C.S. Lewis if you want to appear intellectual. I didn't like it that much at first read, but then the concept stuck with me. And I could say now I can understand why it's an important and good book. As a young man, I was real standoffish to people. I wasn't a hugger. I wasn't, I wasn't, I was always just kind of a, I could, I could be a little bit cold and God did a lot of, a lot of his work in me to, to soften my heart and to allow me to, to live out uh, the love of Christ. And one of them was this famous quote by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. And I think it helps us when we're dealing with rejection to understand the temptation is when we've been rejected is to not love again and to not risk again. So I want us to read this quote because it's one of the more powerful, not read, don't read it out loud, you can, I'll read it out loud, but it's one of the more powerful quotes in um, 20th century Christianity. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It, the heart, will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. So it's a powerful quote, powerful statement. And it helped me realize that that tendency of me to 
avoid rejection. I'm not going to love again because I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to take the risk of rejection. How What that did is it put my heart in a coffin where it would become impenetrable, unbreakable. It's safe. It's safe there. If you lock your heart away and never expose yourself to the potential for rejection, you'll be safe, but you'll be less human. And you won't experience all that God has. So I hope that can speak to you and encourage you today. Here's the third and last fear that the love of Christ, it it drives out the fear of separation. The fear of separation. And that's what sin does to us. Sin separates us from God. And, and sometimes we don't care about that. We're like, well, I, don't, I don't really care to be separated from God because sin is fun or enjoyable or we feel more like ourselves. Um, sometimes it's, it's quite fine with us. But there are going to be times in your life on this earth where you're going to need God. And you're going to need God and you're going to need him and the sin that separates you from him, you, you'll want salvation from that sin. That happens in this life when we need God. But I don't want you just to have a God who answers your needs. I want you to know a God that you can enjoy. A God that your curiosity can continue to explore. The God that knows you better than your closest friend. There's a God who knows you better than the spouse you've been married to for 60 years. There's a God who knows you. He's made you. He knows you better. And he wants your friendship. He wants you to enjoy God. And sin separates you from enjoying God. Because sin is the great barrier between us and the Lord. And that's why Christmas is so powerful. Because Jesus came to this world to live a perfect life. So that on the cross, he would become sin, taking all of our sins upon himself and that separation from God is over and done. Here's the last part of Matthew chapter one, the last part we're gonna emphasize today. Matthew chapter one, starting with verse 21. She, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus, which, which is, means salvation. The Lord saves is what the word Jesus means. Joshua is another name for it. Because he will save his people from their, what? Sins. He didn't say he's going to save them from the Romans or through the future attack of the Greeks or the occupation of the land through the centuries and the battle with the Palestinians. He didn't say he was going to necessarily save them from that. He said he's going to save them from sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him. Other versions say they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. No more separation. Why is God with us? Because sin no longer separates us from God. Because Jesus, the perfect and righteous one, took the sins on the world upon him. And Bethlehem's part of that. There'd be no Calvary. 
largely anonymous for 30 years. For three years, he launched his ministry, all in God's plan, all in God's sovereignty, all in God's choosing. And he voluntarily gave up his life to take upon the sins of the world, to be that last sacrifice that, that no longer separates us from the Lord. Because of Jesus, God is near. God is close. He's close to us. He's close to us, and he keeps forgiving and washing us clean. He keeps taking our poor choices, and there's more love than there is for all the consequences of the mistakes we make. And December is this time of year when we start kind of fading out, maybe emotionally, we fade out mentally. Maybe, maybe you're not like this, but for some of us, we maybe read less. We're a little less disciplined in some areas of our life, and and the Lord even understands that. But his love is there for us. Even when we're not disciplined, even when, you know, we keep making the same mistake, even when we're like, I can't believe it's December 2022 and I'm in that same situation again, his love is here for us and he's made the way. He is Emmanuel, God with us. In verse, verse 24, and when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. That's our Jesus. Hey, if you're able to, let's stand as we go to a time of ministry. I want to invite those who are going to distribute communion, those who are going to be part of our prayer team to position themselves because we'll have a time where we can go to the Lord's table. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 1. Starting with verse 1, it'll be on the screen. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now look at this. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. That's what we just read. The promise said a virgin will give birth to one and will call him Emmanuel. He, this was prophesied. This was prophesied. This was longed for. This was looked for by the people of God. And we know this. Now verse, verse 3 says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, according to the flesh, and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. This is the plan of God. We are in the plan of God. We're not searching for the plan of God. We're not hoping for the plan of God. We're we're not just trying to earn the plan of God. We are right in the middle of the plan of God, right here this morning. We are Jesus' people. We know he is the Savior of the world. We know there is none other to look to. We know that he is the one that we set our hearts upon. And so now we move now to a time of repentance. As we've heard towards the beginning of this Advent, the second Sunday of Advent, we were called to repentance by hope. And I call you to repentance right now. Turn your hearts back to the Lord. Turn your attention back to the Lord. May the Lord be greater than the greatest desire of your heart. May the Lord in his way, 
and his hope and his plan be greater than your plans. Some of you are so impressed with your plans. You've got it all figured out. You've got the next 15 years figured out. You've got the next step figured out, but you haven't figured out that Jesus is greater than your plans and that Jesus, when he comes and he, and he comes and he messes up your plan, it's a good thing because his ways are higher. His, his sights are greater. His, his thoughts are, are higher than ours and his way is better than your way. His way is better than the the way that you have established for yourself. And so we see that the Lord is sneaky. He shows up in Bethlehem. He shows up at an at an inn. He shows up in a manger. He shows up to the anonymous people, to the shepherds, and he reveals himself to the world in ways that we wouldn't expect, ways we wouldn't predict, ways we wouldn't have planned. And yet, His ways are always better and greater. So, Lord, we step into your way today. We step into the way of Jesus, the way of of the cross, the way of the resurrection. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to the Father except by him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is making that known to you. It's the spirit of the world that deceives. It's the spirit of the world that confuses. It's the spirit of the world that gives dissatisfaction and discontentment in the ways of the Lord. But the ways of the Lord has always been, and they will always be. And we have been invited into the way of the Lord, not because we've earned it, but because he chose us. Grace is upon us. I'm telling you, sovereignty and wisdom are upon us, not because we've earned it, because his love is great. The love of the Lord is for everyone in this room, everyone watching online. If you're watching now, if you're watching later in the week, if you're watching years from now, the love of the Lord is for you. The love of the Lord has been assigned to you by the, the, the grace and mercy of our God. So Father, we turn to you in repentance today and we turn our hearts to you. We're going to have a prayer of repentance that calls upon doctrine and scripture. And uh, don't pray this out of just rote memory or a rote repetition. Pray this with great repentance. And especially that middle part of the prayer, as you can see it on the screen, Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He has And he does. And he will continue to do that because his mercy is greater than your sin. His mercy is greater than your mistake. His mercy is greater than your misstep. His mercy is greater than your lack of wisdom. His his mercy is greater. His mercy will not run out. It's new every morning. It's new for every opportunity, every mistake, every misstep. There's new mercy because that's how great our Lord is. And so we turn to him today. Would you pray this prayer of confession? Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world. He's heard us.